Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Alongside me, two recently Drew Holiday pilled individuals, mm. Wayne Spoony and Jake Eisenberg. Spoony, how's it going, man? I'm doing good, dude. I'm doing really good. I I feel like we're all Drew Holiday pilled at this point after oh, yes. some of these performances. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to describe me. I was definitely forcing. I was hi- I was hiding the pills under my tongue as the uh, the nurse left the room, and then I was spitting them out. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm gladly I'm gladly taking them now. Dude, I'm taking them intravenously. Fucking pills. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah waking up. up every morning, pouring that pill bottle down my throat. It's, uh, it's yes. an unhealthy lifestyle, but we're all about it. Uh, look, very, very quickly here. And hello to you, Jake, as well. Yeah, uh, very yeah, quickly here. Hit that like button, or if you're listening to the show, uh, please leave a five-star rating and review. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. We just hit 3,000 subscribers on the First of the Floor YouTube channel. Why not 5K? Why not hey, us? Go and subscribe. Us. If you just want more Celtics content in your life, click subscribe. It's it's not 70 a bad thing. wins. 70 wins, 5K yes. subscribers. Yeah, that's it's all, right. all coming our way. Uh, check out Spoonie's latest column for Celtics blog, Three Leaf Clover. The link is below in the description, as is the link for the Celtics blog playback room. Jake, we had an awesome time hosting last night with Jackson and, and Joe also uh, of OG Celtics Reddit podcast fame. Yeah. Uh, both popped into right. the playback room. And we're back again uh, Tuesday night for the Sixers game, right, Jake? That's right. You and me. Dynamic duo. I mean, yeah, I think that I think that's who's on. Yeah, yeah, awesome. <laughs> Schedule clear. I hope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, let's get into it. The Celtics are forty-five and twelve, guys. They have an eight-game lead nuts. over the Cavs in the East. They've won eight straight games, including eight straight on the road. Uh, pretty much everyone looks the best version of themselves coming out of the All Star break. And Spoonie, the Celtics beat the Knicks, Bing Bong, pretty convincingly <laughs> last night. What were your thoughts on this one? Uh, first of all, I forgot about Bing Bong. That yeah, it's over. It did not last long. No, no, it did not. So, I first of all, can I just say I've been like whispering forty-five and twelve, like I'm having a psychotic break it's, because yeah. it's, just, it's an absurd. It's very nice. Like it's forty-five very and twelve, my life's like what? I'm like, oh, nothing, nothing, like, <laughs> like, dude. That is nuts. Thirty-three games over five hundred. Uh, so that aside, uh. I think so. Jake and I were just talking about like the formula to beat this team and how the Knicks probably traditionally have like the things you can do to beat this team with the way they attack the offensive glass. And, you know, they got a lot of three point shooters. They can spread you out. And the first half was kind of terrifying. I I don't have the numbers here. They're in one of my many tabs, but (laughs) they bludgeoned us on the offensive glass like Hartenstein was. Oh, yeah all over the glass like lots of tip outs seven yeah that's insane dude Mm -hmm. um and just like really frustrating and the and brunson was doing a really good job just like getting into his spots hitting some shit maybe not don't go down in another game like and hadn't gone down against us in previous games this season and then you look up at the scoreboard and the celtics are down three and in my head i'm thinking like that's like as bad as it kind of could have gotten Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we're still like, I'm very confident they're going to turn it around in the second half. And then I think the biggest takeaway for me is like, remember when we were worried about third quarters, yes. our net rating before December 1st was plus 0.2. Well, since then it's uh plus 9.4 in the third quarter. So that is like just totally a thing of the past massive third quarter. It was even a bigger third quarter than it ended up being. Cause I think we were up by like 17 at one point and they cut it down um, and only plus nine in the third quarter, but held the Knicks to 26 points. And after they took um, 21 threes in the first half, we limited their attempts only six yeah. in the third quarter. So I thought wow. the defense really ramped up the rebounding really ramped up and they just kind of took the game over. Yeah. The Knicks came out and obviously look, they're missing Randall. They're missing OG. Yeah. So you got that has to be taken a little bit into consideration. I mean, it still ends in like essentially a blowout. But the Knicks, like, 
MSG national TV game, it was very clear that they came to play and wanted to try and punch Celtics in the mouth, try and take this game, try and steal this game. Because anything can happen any given night, and they came out hot. And this is what they do. They're second in the league in offensive rebounding. And the Celtics, that like if you're gonna kind of nitpick at anything right now over the past like 10-ish games or so, it's the defensive rebounding down to seventh uh in the NBA on the season now. Um and they, like, they, like the Knicks still um, rebounded well in the second half. They had eight offensive rebounds in the second half. The, diff- the difference was the three-pointers were massive, not just limiting the, the Knicks' attempts. But, man, this is like everything that we're screaming about with the Celtics' offense. People are saying the Celtics take too many threes. They weren't taking enough threes. They only took 14 in the first half despite yeah. shooting above 60% from the field. And it's like, why are we only up four? Why can we not kind of like get separated here and say, oh yeah, we're, we're taking like a third of the three-pointers that we usually do. Came out in the third quarter and it's like, you don't want to just jack terrible threes, but you do want to make an emphasis to, to take good, just take threes. Like we have incredible shooters across the board here and all of a sudden start taking threes, lead gets blown out and- it was, we kind of uh, didn't look back from there. Yeah, it's what Missoula Ball is predicated upon, is that the math of three points are worth more than two, and therefore you should take a certain amount of, of threes. And yeah, 14 in the first half, like you said, Jake, 21 in the second. But That's the number. I can just imagine they were just getting anything they wanted in the paint. I think yes. like uh, Jalen Brown led the way there, but all, the Celtics in general were just shoot, shooting at such a high percentage at the rim. I think it was 83% at the rim yeah. in the first half on incredibly high volume. So you can imagine just being enticed of like, I can just score layups and dunks, basically whatever I want, of course. <laughs> I'm going to keep going into the bucket, but the math just doesn't add up. If you keep notching up two points instead of three, sounds like a simple brain take, but it's legit. <laughs> then you're just not going to put up as many points as you need to win against a, another modern NBA offense. But in this one early when it was close, the Knicks were attacking Chris Stapps Porzingis uh, in drop coverage there. Jalen Brunson, probably like a top five candidate in the league as far as like guards to, to oh, feast yeah. on that drop yep. coverage. And in early, and you know me, guys, I tend to like emotionally overreact <laughs> to certain things as far as like what might be the downfall of the Celtics. And the question that the league is asking right now of this team is, what are their vulnerabilities going to be come playoff time? And the Knicks did a good job exposing a potential vulnerability early and this is why we need to start coming around as longtime Celtics fans to like having confidence in the seas down the stretch and if it's a close game at the half understanding that they're going to make the necessary adjustments and, and come out and find a way to win because throughout this game you know, they adjusted the level at which uh, Paul Zingas came up to defend the screen. We had Al Horford come in. Like once they oh, had man. just gotten too much out of the, the Paul Zingas drop coverage, Al Horford comes in. They start switching everything. Al's like blocking Alec Burks at the three-point line, uh, still playing drop effectively, mm-hmm. uh, posting up mismatches, just being an incredible version uh, of Al Horford and, and just putting the versatility of this team on display. Like, okay, you're going at our seven-foot-four Latvian Moses slash God. <laughs> like, okay, here's another godlike figure with beautiful eyes to, to defend your guys coming off the screen. So just a, an amazing adjustment from Joe uh, at a surface level in this game and just amazing uh, display of the team's versatility overall. Yeah, and I thought JJ had a... JJ is awesome in the booth, yeah. by the way. I absolutely yeah. love him in Thank the booth. You, yeah. I just... Doc, yeah. see, into the box, bring JJ in. Perfect, dude. What a massive upgrade for yeah. not the Bucks, but all of our all the viewers. Um, so, <laughs> yes. But he, he was on this and it's like, okay... Brunson got his 34. He had nine assists, but I didn't think like every time he touched the ball, five alarm fire, we're scrambling mm-hmm. around and he's just like eviscerating us with like what Tatum was doing to the Knicks on the other end where it's like mm-hmm. he's getting downhill. He's not getting the assist every time. Often, almost every time he's not getting the assist or not scoring, but he's generating that initial penetration that scrambles the defense and then we're just feasting nonstop. Brunson really wasn't doing that. He was getting his, but because we're so talented defensively, because we have Horford who can just come in and play a different style of defense to KP, it's like, all right, Brunson, you get your 34 and nine, but we're basically going to shut down the rest of your team. Um, and that that to me is just not a good way to win against the Celtics like you just need to do what Oklahoma City does get the ball popping multiple driving kicks and the Knicks did it 
occasionally, um, but I didn't think they did it regularly enough to really attack the defense. And it really showed in the second half, I thought. Um, and like, that's why, you know, we talk about like the Knicks are a fun, good team, but I, I just think like long-term they have some serious limitations on, on both ends really. Yeah, and and attacking the drop, right? And all drops are not created equal. The Atlanta Hawks mm-hmm. playing drop versus the Boston yeah. Celtics playing drop are two uh-huh. very different experiences. And like Bronson, right? So he has 34 points on 25 shots. So like, that's good, obviously. Yeah. Like, good, good game. But at the same time, only nine three-point attempts out of his 25 shots, right? So like, he has to make so many of those mid-range jumpers and like, in a game, in a series in particular, the way that like you start to adjust, I think KP in particular, I think is going to really benefit in the playoffs. And as the season goes along, and like being able to go back and watch film and be like, okay, I'm a little too deep on some of the like on some of the uh, uh, drop coverage possessions where he he like wasn't even contesting some of the Brunson stuff. And then in the second half, um, he had one really good contest where it was probably close to a foul, but it was like a Brunson kind of floater. Um, but yeah, it didn't get cold and then Celtics go back the other way. Like if, if you're forcing him into those mid-range jumpers, as long as you're getting contests on them and like he doesn't have to be right there. He just has to be in the general area and just make it a little bit more difficult because of how long he is. Yeah, I loved the way that they kind of changed a few things going into the second half. Joe Mazzulla doing good coaching things. Uh, who would have thought? But yeah, man, like both against the Bulls and against the, the Knicks, like they were struggling to get KP looks in... Um, in the Bulls game, posting up against Vooch a lot of the time in the first half. And then they went to like this double screen action, which led to Porzingis getting uh, matched up onto non-Vucevic guys. And it's like, okay, this is this is what we want to see from from Missoula and the Celtics. It's like, how can we adjust things at halftime and come out and mm-hmm. both games in a row, it's the, the other team keeps it close and the Celtics blow the doors off in the second half. Yeah, absolutely. Now we see some comments coming in through the chat here. Uh, love hanging out with you guys in the chat. Keep these oh, questions yeah. coming. Maybe we'll get to some of these as we branch out and start to talk about Tatum and Brown and some of the individual performances in the, in this game. So keep those questions coming. Uh, just with regards to the, the drop coverage, not to harp on it too much. Um, it should be worth calling out. You know, I called it a potential vulnerability, but it was clear also to the credit of the Celtics that that's what they were willing to give up. That's how they were like allowing themselves to be attacked. And then the adjustments were simpler. I think we've covered all of them. Maybe we didn't cover the fact that they, they actually put KP on Josh Hart for yeah, an extended nice. period from the second quarter onwards. Like the basically the least advantageous screener from the Knicks perspective. We'll put KP on him. If you want to call Josh Hart up to set the screen, okay, go for it. And then we'll adjust again from there. But it just meant that, you know, if they did call up Hartenstein, we had guys like, I don't know, the stock exchange or Tatum Brown on it who can switch <laughs> those coverages. So just completely shut down uh, the Knicks attack from, from that standpoint. Um, Anything else from a macro level, guys, on this one before we move on to, to individual performances? Just just business-like performance, man. It's like you're supposed yep. to come in, win. The line is like, I think, seven and a half or eight in both the Bulls game and the Knicks games, and you just, you just destroy them. These teams mm-hmm. can kind of keep it close, hit, hit them with their best shot, and then they're just blowing these guys out. Dude, the Knicks, not an elite defense, but 12th best per cleaning the glass. They looked helpless against yes. the Celtics attack, yes. dude. Like, friggin' helpless. And, like, Randall's a bad defender, so he doesn't help that. Missing OG, okay, maybe that's the excuse. But holy shit, I'm not sure he could change. I mean, they were, like, chasing ghosts out there, man. That was It was awesome. That third quarter, I just tweeted out, like, this is a fucking offensive clinic. Like, this is insane, <laughs> <Yeah>. dude. <laughs> and, and, like, we can go – I mean, we, we, we hit Tatum now, but, like, Tatum in particular – like there are certain bigs and shot blockers that he's just comfortable attacking. And Mitchell Robinson, which didn't play today, and Hartenstein, they're two bigs. I mean, you want to throw Precious Achua in there. Yeah, and he's not worried about Achua. There are certain bigs that Tatum is really comfortable against. Hartenstein and Mitch Robinson, I went back and watched a bunch of Tatum film um, for a video that I'm making, and there are so many highlights of Tatum attacking the Knicks um, across the board. Josh Hart, DiVincenzo, uh, he's really comfortable against Mitchell Robinson and Hartenstein. And so it's like if your only answer to the Jason Tatum problem is OG Ananobi, and then it's like that's just it's just not good enough. You need you mm-hmm. need multiple answers. You need multiple guys that can that can slow him down. And by the way, we've got like four years of film of Jason Tatum like not really having an issue with OG Ananobi as elite as OG is. Just like not the type of guy that is quick enough that typically has given Tatum a huge amount of trouble. 
Not to mention Julius Randle, who the biggest concern from an opposition standpoint has been his proclivity for injuring uh, us, yeah. let's say, with his cannonball drives into the paint. Um, well, let's move on to the Jays here. Maybe we can, by way of um, answering this question from Francisco Fernandez, he asks, uh, what do you guys see the big difference in skill set when it comes to Tatum and Brown? So, I guess looking at that through the microcosm of this game, Tatum... Awesome game, like 15 oh, field goal attempts in the entire game. Just like from my perspective, like just sat back and like he was the maestro in this game and orchestrated both mm-hmm. the offense and the defense and gave the game exactly what it needed and not a thing more. I think I counted one potentially boneheaded, boneheaded rather pull up three point attempt. Oh, yeah. But even then, it felt like he was kind of due for it because he'd been playing yeah. so well to that point. And from his perspective, he's probably thinking, oh, let me just test this and see if I've got the pull up shot tonight. And then I'll just go back to being literally the perfect human when it comes to, <laughs> to this game again, which is exactly what he did. And then for, for Jalen, just making himself available in transition. And this wasn't a very transition heavy game on either end, but making himself available for scoring opportunities uh, and um, attacking mismatches and, and things like that. And as a, as a, a maybe the, the number one option for Jason Tatum uh, to, to find offense. So I thought the Jays gelled really well in this game, Spoonie, and really their own individual skill sets were sort of put on, on display. Yeah, I, I, there's just like, especially with OG out, there's just nobody on the Knicks who can handle Jalen Brown. Like he was just bullying, like literally bullying them, dude. Every time he touched the ball, he'd just get into the post or like these straight line drives. He had a couple where he just like looked like he was going in slow motion and guys were just like uh, falling off of him. And he just like would lay it, lay it up, get the flex, probably got fouled, didn't get the call lots of times. But, you know, we're used to that at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And like this is a game I'm not sure Jason Tatum plays two years ago, maybe not even last year, where I think he only took five shots in the first half. Yep, three for um, five. Yeah, and uh, he, it was just like, I'm just going to either, you know, if they're singling me, I'm going to get downhill and I'm going to make a play. And if they're going to send a double, I'm just going to accept the double, take an escape dribble, really pull the defenders away from the paint area. And then I'm going to make the perfect pass out. And like the six assist does not do his passing justice. Like, dude, he was, it. he was just like diming people up, but our team is so good. Like four on three against the Celtics team when it's like Drew Holiday, Porzingis, even with the bench and Hauser and Pritchard, like those guys can crush four on three situations. <laughs> Makes me and sad. they did. <laughs> I just, Dude, it's like, just sitting back there being like, keep going. I'm almost there. Yes, yeah. You can't so my it's hands. Like, <laughs> it's like if you try to play Tatum straight up, like, or a, a Tatum KP pick and roll straight up, like, you're going to get absolutely torched by one of yeah. those guys. And then if you send help to Tatum, like, Jalen Brown's going to go for like 35 on your ass on like 20 <laughs> shots and there's just nothing you can do and like Tatum wasn't he wasn't even really making threes like I, I mean it was just an awesome performance Jalen only went I think three and nine from three yeah. so it's not like those dudes were like splashing threes and like that's an unrepeatable performance like everything about that performance for both of those guys was totally sustainable and like I, I just like at this point they're so mature in the way they approach the game that there's just no nothing you can do to really defend them <laughs> they're really good it's a really good question like what's the difference <laughs> between yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah put that yeah that's going right in the, the special folder on the laptop that's for sure uh, um the, it's a really good question like what's the like the biggest difference between jalen and jason because you know they are obviously similar like they're wing scorers um uh, fire and ice el fuego and What's the ice one? What's, what's yellow? H-I-E-L-O, I yeah, believe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm um, sure yeah. I nailed that pronunciation yeah, too. absolutely. <laughs> Perfect. Beautiful accent. Uh, yeah. You know, fire and ice, like they, they do just really complement each other really well. Like t- Tatum's a little more like smoother, laid back. But I mean, like the biggest difference between both of them is is like the basketball IQ and the feel. And, and that's like why Jason's always going to be the better players because – He's able to read the game in a, in a way that that Jalen isn't quite able to, but the the physicality that Jalen Brown's is playing with at the moment, and that's, not, and that's the thing. Not to say that Tatum's not playing that way either, but Jalen, it was a ridiculous game. First through the first three quarters, he was twelve for sixteen. He he ended up being one for eight in the fourth quarter, but like 
I think he was kind of stat padding towards the end there. Like he wasn't really moving the ball. He was like, he was, he was going to the rim. He was forcing up some nonsense. He had like a fadeaway three at the very end as well that kind of skewed the numbers a little bit too. But through three quarters when he was doing the right thing and he kind of like tried to get out of himself, maybe get some all NBA votes potentially. He was just like, the, the, the post has completely changed this team as a whole, but in particular, Jalen Brown, like, yeah, good luck, uh, New York Knicks. Like, okay, Adrian Anobi's on on Tatum, and now Jalen's going up against Steven Chenzo or Josh Hart or Jalen Brunson. And Jalen's biggest weakness, the turnovers and the handle at times, you know, forcing the issue. The fact that he's now able to just turn his back and back guys down, smaller, get right to the rim, left hand, right hand, or lead the NBA in fadeaway percentage. Michael Jordan just fadeaway. Like the, the ridiculous, like the, the shot difficulty on some of the stuff. Like anytime he gets to a fadeaway, I just am like, I've never been more confident that a shot's going in. Uh, yeah, and first high-scoring game for JB in a while. He last had more than 30 points back on January 22nd against Dallas. And... I don't want to call it like a downturn for for Jalen Brown because this whole year, the theme has been about sacrifices and, you know, with each different opponent, the ask of the Celtics as a team is different. And so it's not to say that Jalen has been less good, just that he's been less important contextually in a game-to-game basis against the opponents we've seen since then. But in this one, it's a great matchup for, for Jalen Brown, like you guys have said, uh, and he comes back out with, what, 30, 34 points, 30-something points? Why, why haven't I written that down? Yeah, a lot. Yeah. He had a lot of points, and it was great. <laughs> a lot but of points. This is what I wanted to ask you guys. Jason Tatum, he played 43 minutes, and that was maybe like mm-hmm. the one major criticism of Joe after this game. To me, and you guys have touched on some of these factors already, it, it wasn't a particularly strenuous 43 minutes in that really his main role was to just go out there, attract the double team, escape dribble, like you said, Spoonie, and then just find the open man. And I have not played basketball in any important capacity ever in my life, but I would imagine playing at that level and playing that role within the team's offense is a lot less strenuous and less of a load on the body than 43 minutes of like, I'm the go-to guy, I'm Giannis, I'm barreling down into the paint in every possession and, you know, and getting my hands dirty and getting knocked over and getting to the free throw line. Like it wasn't really that. It was a different style of basketball. So do you see Spoonie that 43 minutes is as problematic? I, I, you know me. I'm the like. I hate minutes. No more minutes. <laughs> yeah. Playing thirty minutes. No Who more cares? minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah I, don't play. I, I, I agree on the offensive end, but like Tatum was playing his ass yeah. off on defense, dude. And like he's asked to really rebound against the Knicks, and he was getting in there and mucking it up on the glass. He was not a good rebounding game for him, but he's still down there fighting. So, um, yeah, I do think that's. F- that's too high, dude. We're we're forty five and twelve. Like if we lose against the Knicks because Tatum played thirty six minutes instead of forty three, who really gives a shit? But Joe is he's as JJ Reddick said, he's a sicko, dude. Like Damn I right. think he just gets he gets into in his head. Like I want to win this game, and Jason Tatum is you know our best player, so I'm gonna keep rolling him out there. And um, he just was so good on both ends that i get why it's probably difficult to take him out of the game too <laughs> yeah uh you know you know it's like oh go get him yes. sam go yeah. get tatum buddy uh so like it, it it's for me though it is definitely too high so okay firstly on the tatum defense yeah it's a great point like he has been ridiculous and we don't need to do the MVP discussion, but Tatum's played the best defense out of any of the top five guys in the league this year. Giannis has had a down oh, yeah. year defensively. Luka, forget about it. Jokic, forget about it. Shea, good defender. But like Tatum can literally guard one through five. If it's not fucking Jokic or Embiid, like bam, he was guarding Hartenstein yesterday. He can switch onto Brunson, Halliburton. Uh, he, like, he offers real rim, rim protection. Like you name the defensive role and... He can do it for you. The the isolate the defense on Bronson. I got I got, I got the clip here for everybody because it's it's oh, yeah. just ridiculous. Six are now five of six from three point land here in the third quarter. Brunson against Tatum. Picks it out in the corner. DiVincenzo off the bounce. Sis floaters up. Shot no good. Rebound tipped and taken by White. We're exceptional individual defense from Jason Tatum. Just exceptional. The start. The change of direction. Somehow stays. But just. There's like not, not a lot of guys can deal with him, dude. Like even Derek and, and Drew, like when you need one stop, one guy, it's it, like it's very clearly Tatum to me. Like it's it's incredible, his his foot speed. And it's not just like 
the foot speed because like Jalen in theory should be able to like cover some of the small guys as well like due to his size potentially but Tatum like again going back to the IQ and the feel the anticipation on defense to know like what Brunson's trying to do where he's trying to lean how to stay down on a pump fake and then the size and the length like it's incredible and he, he it's almost like it's almost like he's an elite cornerback. Like he's Darrell Revis or Richard Sherman in the NFL. Like he doesn't get a lot of these possessions because teams know it's like there's no point, dude. Just don't even bother trying to ISO Jason Tatum on the on the perimeter because it's not going to work. Yeah, I talk about it all the time. He shuts down entire quadrants of, of, yeah. the, of the half court, which is an eighth of the court. Uh, anyway, uh, I was, was going to say on, on, the, on the minutes, <laughs> on the minutes, like I, I think there's a couple of things. One, they had two days off after the Knicks game, and they have two days off after the Sixers yeah. game before yeah. the Mavs game. Secondly, I, I'm wondering if they're going to use this next next stretch as a way to like do like a mini playoff ramp up because KP played like a bunch of minutes in the Bulls game, which was weird. And then Tatum playing 43 minutes. Like do they ramp up for this next tough stretch and then do something like we're going to, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle this monster lead in the standings, which is just like very, like just doesn't happen really. And so um, it will be interesting. Maybe that was part of it. Okay. This is what it feels like to play 43 minutes as you're going to do in the playoffs. Hard mm-hmm. to say, but there's a few factors. I'm like, I'm not worried about it because it's Tatum. Yeah, it's a little far out from the playoffs, I think, to maybe be looking at that at that ramp up. But what do I know, right? I'm not a part of any coaching staff. I'm just yeah. an Australian uh, Celtics yeah. podcaster from from many kilometers away. Uh, I, I, we wanted to, I wanted to rather shout out Chris House Porzingis because I, I talked about him th- through the lens of a defensive vulnerability and the Knicks attacking him and drop. But bit of an offensive bounce back in this game: three of four from three, seven of eleven from the floor overall. Got to the line, hit all his free throws, five of five. Um, just like the the unicorn the Latvian Moses, the best right. land that we've all come to know and love. And the, like the mere threat of his three-point shot from many, many large Latvian paces from behind the three-point line has been a threat all season. When he's actually hitting them at an incredibly high clip, 75% in this game, the, the threat skyrockets. It's, it's ridiculous. And this is the sort of Celtics play that is the catalyst for the conversation that we've seen online, which we'll get to in the Schadenfreude report in a little bit about what do you do about the Celtics team? Like it has all opposing fan bases, and I'm sure front offices as well, freaking the fuck out, guys, about <laughs> what you do about this team. Because uh, I heard on another podcast, I think it was still pod about like what what teams might do in the playoffs and from a percentage standpoint just give up the three-point shot to Porzingis was one of the ideas they came up with and I think there's that has some legs but Hmm. if he's gonna start hitting them then like fuck off like you can't do anything it's ridiculous counterpoint over the last 15 games Chris has Porzingis is shooting 45.2% from three Mm, which I didn't know until before I looked at the numbers here but that's fucking insane that's a pretty big sample size (laughs) and like if so if he's if he's like now on his three point trajectory he's like okay now he's comfortable now like whatever for whatever reason he's hitting his threes yeah that's that's not an option and like watching the game yesterday the confidence of this man and he absolutely should be this confident because he's an absurdly talented skilled player and has been for the majority of his life but it's like he you, he's just so confident dude like tough shots shot clock contested big moments in the garden like whatever he's just so confident dude and then he just like trots back winking at yeah, everybody with a he's grin like, yeah. yeah he's like yeah that's what I do and so like <laughs> I, I personally would not recommend that um, uh, as a strategy strategy but uh, but that's the, but that's the point. That's what we're tr- we're j- clinging to. Yeah. It's like, what's mm-hmm. the best way? Is okay. Let the let this unicorn shoot threes. I guess. Yeah, he's shooting thirty nine point five percent on wide open threes for the season, and that includes like a kind of rough shooting yeah. stretch. So like, not super viable as a defensive strategy to leave the dude who shoots forty percent from three mm-hmm. um, wide open. Uh, so I mean, but yeah, you're 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 absolutely right, Jake. Like I I don't have the if I had like the answers to solving this like Celtics offense, or I would probably be a pretty damn good NBA coach. So I really yeah. don't know what you, <laughs> I don't know what you do. Maybe I, I mean like you can't let Derek White shoot threes. You can't Drew Holiday shooting sixty friggin' percent from the corners. Like yeah. there's really nothing you can do. Maybe you just hope KP has four terrible shooting games. But also like. 
it's really hard for NBA players to just let somebody shoot a yeah. lot. Like their natural instinct is like, I'm going to get out there and at least give some type of contest. And that's all he really needs. Like he had that one pump fake from three and like drive to the lane yeah. Yeah. against New York. And it's like, this is absurd that a seven foot three guy can like put it on the deck, get to the rim and lay it in. So like he is just such a problem for defenses. And then when you combine them with the Jays, like it, it's, it is unsolved. They have the best offense of all time like literally yeah. right yeah. now so <laughs> i mean no one can figure it out <laughs> do we want to talk about the enlightenment jake i uh, well, see some comments we, coming through yeah, yeah. Was, this is a, <laughs> as good a time as ever i guess and, and we can talk about uh whatever we want i guess but Kristaps was asked in the presser like um why are, is the pick and roll between you and derek so good or why is derek so good at running the pick and roll with you and Here's here's the clip. It's 34 seconds long. It's just it's basically if if I get asked uh, how great uh, Derek White is, and Kristapski is pretty much the exact same answer. Why is he so good at running pick and roll? Leeway's just man, he's so good. He's, he's like so good. I don't know if you guys realize like how good he is. Like the way he plays basketball is just like man, how is this dude like just so good? Like it's incredible. So. Um, I love playing with him and he always finds me and, and then, you know, we keep building chemistry as the year goes and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure playing with D-Way. Absolute right pleasure. in with our analysis. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure playing with yeah. D-Way. And so like, I don't know, I was just watching that and, and I was like, man, it, Chris, that feels like a dude that's just reached enlightenment at this point. It, and so I was like, I know we've been calling him uh, Latvian Moses at this point, but is, is he not Latvian Buddha uh, potentially yeah. as well? And um, <laughs> shout Seamless. out. Is that shout shot? Out, shout out. I didn't make this one. Someone no, on Twitter real. <laughs> re- 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 replied to me. Um, if you're not watching the YouTube, if you're listening to the audio, it's uh, it's Buddha with Kripsats posing and his tongue out um, superimposed on front. And it's just... It's beautiful, but it, it's, it's the reality of, of of his life and our lives right now. Um, and he's right, dude. Like, they, Derek White, if we want to transition into the D. White experience, but, like, he had this one play where, like, the shot clock was winding down. Nothing was really going. I forget who – someone was kind of trapped in the corner. D. White wasn't even, like – the spacing on the possession wasn't awesome. D White's on the wing and D White just like takes off before the ball gets to him. And whoever gets the ball to him, Derek White's already attacked the closeout and he gets yeah. straight to the rim. And I honestly can't even remember what the, what the result of the possession was. I was just like so aroused by Derek White's attacking <laughs> of the closeout and like saving the possession and turning into a positive one, whether or not that shot uh, went in or not. Like, and that's the beauty of Derek White. It, like, the fact that he's turned into a fucking 50, 40, 90 guy is just absurd. But like why I and most a lot of us fell in love with Derek White to begin with was because of like all these little micro things where like he he attacks closeouts before before the ball gets to him to like save a possession that that's going nowhere, which is like really important for this team. And it's those little things that make me fucking love that guy. Yeah. He is it, the perfect role player. Yeah. Yeah, he he really is and like defensively he's basically oh. doesn't make mistakes. He's like dominating with shot blocks and like <laughs> Brunson got him a few, like not got him a few times, but like usually D White's rear view contests are really good and they were really good against Brunson. It's just Brunson's that good sometimes. Like you're going to bother a shot and he's still going to make mid range jumpers. Like that dude is great. Um, but like he, it's not like he was screwing up the defensive coverages. Like that stuff just kind of happens. And uh, I think on a team where you have two lead stars whose decision-making has absolutely improved, but isn't like elite level, like Chris Paul level decision-making, like the value of Derek white, just being able to like turn a bad possession into a good one. Like you said, Jake, and like say like absorb some of like the decision-making burden almost in a lot of ways is like, it's just really helpful. And like, I think it's just like overall basketball skill. Cause he's not like, it's not aesthetically pleasing to watch Derek White like hit somebody with a cross. Like he's kind of upright. Yeah. Like, you mm-hmm. know, it's not like and one hot sizzle type of stuff, right? <laughs> but it's like ruthlessly effective. And he just like immediately accepts all the space he needs to. His like understanding of spacing and if he's gonna get a shot block and like going off like wrong-footed layups or like wrong-footed floaters and like that lob he threw to KP. 
that was a tough pass, dude. Like Hardenstein yeah. almost got back to it. And that thing was like inch perfect. Like he's just he's just so damn good at basketball on like in every facet period <laughs> well look, we're not done we're not done on the next game but as usual because we've got so many awesome things to say about the team and every individual on it we've run over time so uh, we're gonna take a break to hear a quick word from our sponsor and then come back and talk about Derek white some more andrew holiday aka the stock exchange but first a quick word from our sponsor fanduel just pick the Celtics to win every game. I, I think yep. it seems like a safe bet. Exactly what I was going to say, dude. Like the, I've bet the Celtics on on the line, the handicap, the last two games. It's just like it's kind of money in the bank right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're they're doing the thing. Well, look, we, we had to run that ad read, you know, sooner rather than later, just because we've, we've got sort of time constraints there. But we haven't talked about Drew Holiday, who has been awesome. Drew and Derek, they combined for 25 points, 5 of 11 from 3, 12 assists, 4 steals in this one. We already talked about KP's just total inability to articulate Derek White's uh, greatness. <laughs> Meanwhile, I said this at the top, the top of the show. Everyone has looked the best version of themselves coming out of the All-Star break. Derek White, his three-pointer is back. His little shifty, crafty floater in the lane yeah. is back as well. And like, we don't even need it is the crazy thing. There have been times (laughs) throughout the season where we absolutely needed Derek White to be that version of himself. Now it's just like a sick indulgence. Like you almost (laughs) feel bad for for indulging it. And yet it's there. Uh, And then all the while, Drew Holiday probably having his best stretch as a Celtic thus far. We've talked about already 63%-ish from the corners. That's probably gone up. After him going like 100% from that yeah. range in the last couple of games, he's like finally really figuring out how to slot in offensively and then just defensively, having always done Drew Holiday things, Spoonie. Uh, it's just um, like we're third, well, almost 40 minutes into the podcast now. We're just talking about amazing Drew Holiday because that's how sort of far down the hierarchy he is. And yet he's been amazing. Yeah, it's it's such a luxury to just be like, oh, hey, Drew Holiday has Dante DiVincenzo on him. Like, just throw it to him and let him post up. And he like had like two or three nice post ups where he got all the way to the rim and made made the shot. Um, And then defensively, I feel like he's really started to settle in and like. He's been everywhere. So maybe this dude just needed like a week off for the all-star break or something like that, because like he's been all over the friggin' place. Like, I think that first half against New York was like maybe his best defensive half of the season so far. Like it, it just like he was popping up out of nowhere, just like cutting off, uh, cutting off driving lanes, like just annoying people getting into Brunson a little bit. Although Brunson, he... Brunson got him, man. Brunson had an awesome game. Like, there's no, mm. there's no doubt about it. But I just thought sure. Holiday was friggin' awesome on everybody but Jalen Brunson, essentially. And um, if he, he's finally, I think, like truly accepting the fact that he is not like the lead point guard on this team anymore. Like, you know, he's just like, you're not that guy. Like, I think it was like unnatural for him for the first several months of the season, and like he was willing to do it. But it's just really hard to like readjust your brain on a basketball level to like turn into the fifth option. And now it just seems like he's striking the perfect balance. Yeah, in the last couple games too, like I. The, the post-ups and like the finishing around the rim has been good. And that's been something that he struggled with a little bit yes. uh, like throughout the year. And it hasn't mattered at all. And like, if, even if that doesn't get fixed, like that's not really the, a massive issue. But last couple of games, he's been much better at finishing around the rim, like crafty, bullying guys. It is nuts. Like you talk about maybe like what's the way to beat the Celtics. It's like, it might be to try and make Drew Holiday do the most. Like as far as the decision making stuff goes, maybe it's like you're forcing him to do a lot, but it's like he's going he's going to be on either your fourth or fifth worst defender. So it's like, does that mean he's posting up Dame, Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Tyrese Maxey, Buddy Heald, Darius <laughs> Dar- Garland, um, like J- Jalen Bronson, DiVincenzo. Like he's just really good there. I mean, and the shooting numbers is just nuts like I, I i don't know about you guys but like mentally it took a while to get past like the no no yes thing i don't even yes. need to like try anymore i'm just like yep that's fine just go for a break yeah. like uh, yes yeah. yes yes drew <laughs> yeah, <What about>? yeah. <laughs> we love it <laughs> um miscellaneous points from this game as we try to sort of move on al and Jalen. this is like the leading misc point both said post game that they think the c's can get to another level spoonie 
What does this mean to you? I, I think like the, the standout things are second chance points, like giving up too many extra possessions is probably something they can tidy up. I actually loved just to throw in another missed point. Sam Hauser coming in and like soaring like a beautiful bird for yeah, like, several defensive rebounds yeah. and ending possessions. That was great. Uh, but that, that seems like the most obvious thing that they can clean up. And then just little things like just being more fluid on switches and having better intel going into certain matchups about like where Chris Stapp should be uh, relative to the level of the screen and little things like that. But does anything else stand out to you there? Um, yeah, I, I I think big thing is like you've got maybe like a top role player big on the bench here that has played two minutes for your team. So I think Tillman can give you something different than Cornette does. And Cornette has been really helpful. He's been great this season, but Tillman's just got a different skill set, probably a more valuable skill set in a playoff atmosphere. So like if you can integrate Tillman into this team as well, like that can absolutely boost you. Like another level to me means like, you know, you go from like a good to a great team. Like there's, there's nowhere else for this team to like, they are great. They are completely elite. I don't like another level feels a little hyperbolic from, from Al, but um, for the most part, yeah. Like you tidy those things up. Look, they're only the third best defense in the NBA. I guess they could be first yeah. on that end as well, like technically. And I think like if you fix the things you described, Ben, that that will jump up. Um, the rebounding to me just kind of feels like regular season stuff. Um, I'm not super worried about it, but there is an argument. Like if you switch one through four a lot, you're going to get some weird mismatches. Like you're going to have Tatum up above the key guarding point guards at times. And he's been like the best defensive rebounder on the team. So um, that, you know, that can get exploited in some matchups, I guess. So if they tidy that up and they get the, the defense flowing at like a hundred percent mind meld way, like it was with Yudoka, then yeah, maybe another level, but I'm like, dude, at some point it's like, you can't be perfect yeah. and they're getting pretty freaking close. Yeah. I, yeah. New level might, new level might be tough, but, but, but like, here's the thing. This team is, the, this is the first year these, this team has been together. Obviously you've got Tatum, Jalen and Al have been together a lot. Derek now into his uh, third year, but he obviously came at the deadline. So he has, he's obviously gotten incredibly more comfortable. But Drew and Porzingis, like, as you said, Drew's clearly becoming more and more comfortable, uh, especially coming out of the All-Star break. And I think just from the offensive chemistry perspective, that can just get cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. The, the more comfortable they get, the more experience they get, the more reps they get. It's going to get more comfortable. They're going to just get more confident. Like earlier in the season where it was like Tatum in particular was like hesitant to give Porzingis the ball on a switch and now it's just automatic. Anytime mm-hmm. there's a non-big on Porzingis, it's just it's just that's that's the job. So little things like that, it's almost like hard to to think about what those scenes can be till they like they start to kind of pop up. But, but yeah, Ben, that's absolutely one. I think that's one that definitely sticks out. It's like KP dealing with drop coverage and KP dealing with um, stretch bigs. I think those would be like the two defensive things. I think of all the things that we've struggled with, th- those stick out. And then the Tillman thing. Yeah. This is a tricky one. Cause like they're the best team by a lot. Like they're historically great. And it's like, do they need to do anything? Um, I wonder if it's a little bit like he- Tillman coming off that knee injury. I know he's off the injury report. So I guess you would say like there's, he's fine, but maybe that's part of it. Um, but like, yeah, yesterday, like maybe you would have liked to have seen Al and Tillman double bigs instead of um, Al and Cornette double bigs. And you, you go to a switch everything lineup. But Cornette's been super solid. He was awesome in the Bulls game. Solid yesterday. Uh, Tillman's, yeah. not an, Tillman's not an elite rebounder. That's not like his thing. Like he's kind of undersized. So like he's not going to come in and fix the rebounding issue necessarily. But I absolutely would love to see him. We've got the Jazz Blazers or the yeah Jazz and the Blazers back to back coming up. Uh in a, like a week or a week and a half. So we'll definitely see him then. But um, yeah, I don't know like how you can really make a super strong case for getting Tillman in there right now. But as someone that spent a lot of time putting together a lot of Tillman content, <laughs> I have, I'm hyped. I want to see yeah. him, dude. I want, I, yeah, want dude. I want, I want to see him switch onto some guards and stuff. So uh, I'd like to see him be, yeah, that's definitely a, a tool in the toolbox that they, they haven't gone to yet, but maybe Brad's just like, 
No, we're just gonna we're gonna sign trade for him, not play him. No one's gonna offer him a contract, and then we're gonna re-sign him for this extension, and then he's gonna come out and turn into Al Horford. And maybe that's <laughs> what he's thinking, you know? Yeah. Again, just the ultimate luxury and embarrassment of riches, where Luke Cornett has been so good in his role that it may legitimately be difficult for Xavier Tillman to get minutes on this team, even <laughs> down the stretch run here. Uh, look, we've got. Almost 120 people in this stream. If yeah, all of out. you hit the like button now, first of all, thank you for joining us. If all of you hit that like button, that would, I guess, be the most likes we've ever had on a live stream. So I compel you to do it. And obviously that helps yeah. us with the algorithm. It takes five seconds in front of, less. Yeah, le- less than that. So it's Click literally it. a twitch, twitch of the finger. Just do it, do it now. And it yeah, helps yeah. put this show in front of more people, um, which is obviously great for us and potential guests. I always say... Brian Scalabrini doesn't get out of bed for less than 20,000 subs. So help us get there. <laughs> we're getting, getting there. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Uh, but we're having fun here. This is great. We're going to now get to the very awesome Jake Eisenberg inspired Charlotte <laughs> Photo Report. That's right, guys. It is the Schadenfreude report and the haters are sick, I'm being told, Jake, as we look around at other fan bases disdain for the Celtics after the Bulls game and after the Knicks game. It feels like the it's an unavoidable reality that the Celtics are as good as they are. So what are are you seeing around the Celtics and NBA Twitter sphere on this? So (laughs) it's been awesome. The, the tears are really feeding feeding the soul. It's um the the Peter Parker in Spider as a Spider Man three where he turns into Venom and he's like, "Are you gonna cry?" It's just everybody is is so upset. And I think this tweet here really um speaks to how like the NBA Twitter is feeling. Tatum's so spoiled, man. Never had to sit through a rebuild. Never had to be in the trenches. Just playoff appearances and stack teams since drafted. And <laughs> it's like people have have resorted to being like. It's not fair. Tatum's team is yeah. too good. Yeah. What, what the heck? Like, there's no more like, oh, Porzingis, it's not going to work. It's no Jalen can't dribble with his left hand or Derek White's a uh, role player or Al Horford's old. It's just like, it's not fair. It's not fair, this team. Jason Tatum only has to take 15 shots and the Celtics can win by... 20 and the irony of like the Tatum stack that's he's become the target of the IR as like the uh, Stephen A. Smith inspired uh, Tatum MVP push has kind of happened in the midst of the all-star break um, has been like Tatum is playing his best basketball of his career I think pretty easily like he's not putting up the same 30 plus numbers like Maybe the three-point percentage isn't at 40-plus, but, you know, pull-up threes from January to now are like 38 39%. But the way that he's seeing the game is at a place that he's never been before. The way that he's – I think it's incredible that, like, he is able to tell what the game needs. Like, that is something that I don't think he's had before. It's, it's very LeBron-esque. Like, it's very, like, game one in a playoff series, like – don't do this, Jason, but like doesn't try very hard in game one because he knows like he's going to feel out and then it's going to be a five game series. But like Tatum to just take five shots in the second half. He did it in the Bulls game as well. He just goes nuclear in the third quarter. And man, the physicality that he played with. Sorry, I've gone on a Tatum tangent here, but like um, he, <laughs> was just go- he was just going, he was just going straight through Jericho Sims, like straight through guys. So Tatum's playing at a level that he's never had to play at before. And everybody's upset that because his team is so good <laughs> that it's, it's just making everybody mad. And so my, my main counterpoint to this, to this like Tatum has been on stack teams thing. One, I'm sure we can go through like how it's like kind of factually incorrect, but like, mm-hmm. was everybody this upset about magic Johnson? That's what I want to know because magic Johnson <laughs> literally was drafted onto a team with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, like ended up making the finals. Like he, I looked it up. Uh, Magic Johnson is like 258 and 230. I mean, the Lakers are 258 and 230 all time. All the games that Magic missed in his career, they have about a 54 winning percentage, which is like above 500 team. Tatum, been over this, 16 and 20, 36 games missed in seven seasons is firstly insane, but it's a 44% winning percentage, which is like a 35, 36 win team. It's like- Mm -hmm. This team in particular, this is a, this is basically a super team. I have no issues with that. I'm very happy about it personally. Big fan <laughs> of the super team. But like before this year, not the case. The, the, the on-off numbers last year with Tatum were absurd. And the finals run, as soon as he took like 30 seconds on the bench, the team collapsed. Like this has been the first time in Tatum's career where when he's off the court, they can still be really good. And so people are upset about it. I mean, it's, I, sorry, sorry to hear that, everybody. 
Well, and just, well, go, go ahead, Spoonie. Yeah, well, I was going to say to the net rating thing, uh, 2021, they were minus 1.3 with Tatum off the floor. So yeah. super team that would have been under 500. Yeah. Uh, 21-22, they were minus 1.9 when Jason Tatum was off the floor. And then last year, uh, I believe they were like plus two uh, with Jason Tatum off, plus 2.9 with Jason Tatum off the floor. So a nice 46-win team Play with Tatum team. off the floor. Nice, yeah. yeah, so yeah, oh, there's your super teams. Like Tatum's teams aren't <laughs> so good. Jason Tatum is so good that he makes his teams good. Like that is what people aren't grasping. It's like, what is like the the thing that is in common with every yeah, team Jason Tatum's been on? It's Jason Tatum's on the fucking team. Like, I just like, why don't people grasp that? So it's just like, it's stupid and you're right. They're just grasping at straws because I think they know what's going to happen in about three months, dude. Like this is the year. I'm telling you, this is the uh. damn year. Please, please, God, we need it so badly. I think everyone here understands and feels the same way. We're, we're, we're due. And like, that's the thing with Tatum. So many stars like shake themselves loose of the team that drafted them early in their career because they're unsatisfied. They're becoming impatient, maybe with the incompetence of the front office building the team around them. And Tatum has played through some non-super teams. Like, So here's another tweet. Uh, it refers to... The super teams that that Tatum has played on. So 17-18, drafted to the number one seed. He then went on to be the best player uh, on the Celtics playoff uh, run that year with Kyrie and Gordon Hayward out. And this is with other like really good players on the team. Tatum was like by far and away the best team on uh, best player on that team, rather. 18-19, choked with the super team. 19-20, choked <laughs> with a super 20-year-old. Team. 20-21, choked with yeah. the super team. 21-22, humiliation. At the biggest stage <laughs> with the super team. So the 2022 this is, roster, this is the finals team, right? It's Jason Tatum, obviously. Jalen Brown, great. Huge drop off after that. Not to diminish the, the skill and quality of any of these wow. players, but a 35-year-old Al Horford, Derek White, a.k.a. Herrick White, a.k.a. <laughs> first year Derek White, and then an injured Rob Williams, and I'll give them Depoy Marcus Smart. But it's not exactly like brimming with superstar talent. And that's the team that made the finals, led yeah. by Jason Tatum. 2020, 2021, Jason Tatum, oh, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, injured Kemba Walker, Jeff Teague, pre-enlightened Rob Williams, like pre-empowered by Ime oh, Udoka, yeah. Rob Williams, Romeo Langford, Shemi Ojale. I'll stop there. Like... Where's the super team, guys? We, it's we ridiculous. Lost, we lost Jalen for the end of that season as well. Like Kemba's Kemba's knee was had turned yeah. to dust. Like the team that he took to the conference finals in the bubble as a fucking twenty-one year old, so impressive, man. Like mm-hmm. Hayward goes down early. Like no Al Horford did. Daniel Tice, love Daniel Tice. One of my favorite like random role players ever. Not a starting fucking center not on that a guy. conference. Not a yeah, not a starting center on a conference finals team, dude. Just not not that guy. Um, Brad Wanamaker <laughs> was the fucking sixth man. He's out of the league now. Like so many, like it's 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 hilarious. Um, but you know it, it doesn't matter. And uh, the Celtics are, are continuing to continuing to roll. And yes, and yes, yeah. it's a super team now, but he has been patient with the team, with himself, with his teammates, with the fan base, admittedly at times, including us. Like we've been detractors. I, I know Joe is in the chat here, our New Zealand correspondent. He's been a heavy Tatum detractor at times, rightfully yes. so. And yet we, we've all been patient with one another. And yes, it's a super team now, but it, it's it's through sticking with it that we've gotten there. And, and Brad and, and previously Danny have done a great job leading us to this point. It hasn't happened overnight. And a huge part of it, I would argue, is that Jason Tatum is such a quality of character and player that like people want to play with him and people want to stick with him and re-sign on the team that he plays for. So but, uh, to diminish that by just saying he's been gifted all of his good fortune from day one is absurd. But, you know, that's what opposing fan bases do. Right. There's another another tweet here from Ben Steiner who says, you're starting an NBA team from scratch. Would you build around Jalen Brunson or Jason Tatum? I, I would argue, like, Jalen Brown over Jalen Brunson at this point. Like, it's, it's a ridiculous premise to set, but it's just, it's just to shine a light on the ridiculous discourse going on about the Celtics at this point as if it isn't earned or deserved or anything else. It's, it's crazy. He, he also makes it easy to build around. Like he's such a malleable player. And that's something that he does not get enough credit for is that you can build a team a variety of ways. And Jason Tatum can fit in. He can be, you know, heavy usage. He can scale down in this way. You know, it does, it does not matter. Like he can play 
in all those teams that he's played in, it's it's him making the the machine go. And that's like Kevin Durant is is kind of like the other guy where it's like you can plop him onto any team context and that team's just going to be like absolutely supercharged. And Tatum's exactly the same. Catch and shoot on the ball. Like what what position on defense do you need him to play? Like you name the role that you need him to play and he can do it at an incredibly elite level. And I'm so glad that he's on our team and I'm so glad that he fucking loves Boston and I'm so glad that he's about to sign a fucking five-year Supermax contract. It's going to be awesome. 400 million or something. And you know what I think is the most frustrating part about this is in one breath, they'll talk about his super teams and then in the Mm. next breath, they'll start making fun of Jalen Brown and saying how he isn't good and shouldn't have been an all-star. And it's like, so so which is it? Do his teammates suck or are they a super team? So like it can't be both and like, it's funny you're making fun of Jalen Brown because he's cooking your asses like every <laughs> yeah. other night. You know what I mean? Like he just had 30 on the Knicks. I bet there's a lot of Knicks fans who are deleting some tweets about how Jalen Brown can't go left after he's like <laughs> punishing Jalen Brunson and putting him in the basket and laying it up on him. So it, it, it's really stupid. And like, I think part of it is just like people absolutely hate the Celtics yeah. and they hate winners. And right now the Celtics are both of those things. So um, they're going to get a lot of hate and they're going to get a lot of inconsistency in their arguments. But I will say I'm impressed with the national media is like is doing the opposite in a lot of ways. Like yeah. JJ seems like really big. Like the Celtic team's awesome. Stephen A. Smith of all that people guy. saying like Tatum. Does, yeah, that's <laughs> I, I have some tweets about how I love Stephen A. From like from deep. So it's one of my character flaws. I just think he's no, I think he's no, hilarious. He's, awesome, he's killing yeah. it right now. That's yeah. Sure. yeah, he is. That's right. So uh, so I will say like I, I think if you like get beyond like the trolls on Twitter, like yeah. the the grander media is like saying like this team's awesome and easily the best team in the league so i try to focus on that but man do they make it hard dude do they make it hard (laughs) i think yeah i think i think the correct response everybody when you see people complaining that it's unfair just be like yeah you're damn right it's unfair and (laughs) sucks to be you and it's great to be us Blame the Brooklyn Nets, man, for yeah, trading dude. the picks yeah. that they traded for an aging, uh, already aged KG and Paul Pierce that are putting us in a position to be simultaneously the one seed with the Isaiah Thomas-led Celtics uh, while also um, trading back with the Sixers for the yeah. number three pick to get Tatum. Oh, man. Blame the be, Washington Wizards, dude. Blame the rest of the NBA. Anyone could yes. have traded for Chris Aspozingas. The Warriors that did the Chris Paul trade could have easily traded Chris Paul for Chris Aspozingas. And if they had yep. done that, they would probably be like a fucking top five seed right now and be looking mm-hmm. terrifying. Can you imagine Steph Curry and Chris Porzingis <laughs> playing together at, and Draymond Green on the court at the same time? It's terrifying. Thank God Brad Stevens does not allow that to happen because that would be very, very bad. But the Latvian <laughs> Buddha is on our team. Thank the Lords. And thanks for the two firsts, by the way. <laughs> the two on the way out oh the door. God. It doesn't end. It's the best. Uh, we're having fun here. Now, let's let's wrap up on this. We're playing the Sixers in a couple of days. A notable absence there. They're missing some guy who apparently was an all-star and is a, quite a good uh, NBA center and apparently once was an MVP, of course, talking about Joel Embiid. Uh, as I attempt to hate on him, but I can't really. Like He's been great this season. And we man, wish you can tell the how much they fucking miss him. Jesus, Moses, oh, they are man. a dumpster yeah, fire. Yeah, dude. So let's talk about it. They lost um, quite brutally to the Bucks today, Spoonie, um, but they are our next opponent. And regardless of who is suiting up for them, we do hate them uh, quite intensely. Uh, so <laughs> what are your predictions for this matchup with the Sixers? <laughs> Hey man, they almost got us earlier this year when none of their good players played too. Yep. Although that was like Pat Bev led and yeah, he's Pat obviously Bev's, not there right. anymore. Yeah. Um, so they have a minus 8.1 net rating in February, which is just absolutely pathetically bad. That's like a top three pick status. And the one guy I've been like focusing on is because he was anointed the next all-star. Like there were, he's oh, better yeah, than Jason yeah. Tatum conversations at the beginning of this year. And it's Tyrese Maxey since January 1st, 43.5% from the floor, 37% from three. Good. That's fine for a point guard. 55.5 true shooting percentage. Eh, it's okay for a point guard. Uh, and 33% on pull-up threes, which was like his weapon. That's what made him so devastating, so difficult to guard in those first like six weeks of the season. Uh, and it's just kind of gone now. Uh, so he's sort of a different player. He's way overstretched being the number one option on like a good team and they've not been good since he's had to do that. So uh, it, it would be a pretty bad loss if we lost to this version of the Sixers, honestly. Yeah, it would. Uh, it would be similar <laughs> to the Lakers loss uh, where we lost yeah. to Austin Reeves. So it is funny, like after that Lakers loss, I, I remember like, so I tweeted out right before that game, we could be looking at a 14 game winning streak and like 
if we hadn't lost that game, we're fucking like right there, dude. And and so like we've won eight in a row. All of a sudden, the 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 biggest active winning streak again because the Mavericks. It's so funny. Every week, there's a new team that pops up on these national podcasts. It's like the Mavericks. Everybody, Luka Doncic MVP. They're eighteen to one to win the the West, and then they just fucking get cooked the next day by someone. They just got blown out by the Mavs by the by the Pacers today. Um, but look, you know anything can happen. One game. But the way that the Celtics have looked in these first two games, especially with two, day, two days off, um, I would be pretty shocked if they lose this game. They're especially just the way that the Sixers are constructed. Like they don't have any size. Like like you know, Paul Reed's going to be their starting center, and then Mo Bamba might be the worst player in the NBA. Um, Maxi might, yeah. Well, but just just lock in and uh, and get another win, get some rest. Um, but yeah, and then and then it's and then it's onto the stretch where mm-hmm. uh, Ben, I probably probably stepped on you a little bit there, but we we have the the uh, <laughs> the right. Mavs and Warriors at home after that. And I was looking at the Mavs schedule; they've just started their road trip today, Pacers, and then they have a day off and they play Cavs, Raptors on a back to back, and then the Celtics. Mm-hmm. So it's just like ah, well, that's a nice. And then we have two we have two days off after the next game, two days off after the Sixers game, and we get to play them at home. So that's a nice spot to just like hopefully kick the shit out of them and uh, get some narrative uh, narrative pra- narrative praise would be nice. Yeah, I'll just drop in there real quickly that the Sixers in the last two weeks are two and three. This is per cleaning the glass. 25th ranked offense, 16th ranked defense, 22 overall in point differential. So they've been shit. Let's just call it what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, awful. Yes, and but it's the first game of a little three-game homestand here after two games on the road after the All-Star break. So, Sixers nice. coming up. Hopefully, we win that game. They've, like I said, been terrible, so we should. Then the Mavs, who have that difficult stretch coming up to their, their game in Boston. Uh, and then the Warriors at home, which That's is like... One. Of the remaining games, there's the Warriors, there's the Nuggets two games later on the road, but it's this Warriors and Nuggets game. We've got the Suns twice, once on the road, once at home after the nuggets and then it's like like it's breaking out of the storm you know like in the truman show where they turn off the bad weather and it's just like angelic singing and he like makes it it's kind of that point of the season and then it's like wizards pistons bucks pistons bulls hawks hawks and and trey young you know we wish him the best but he's just gone out with hand surgery so um we get to that point and it's like now we start seeing xavier tillman a lot now we start to see peyton pritchard playing like 28 minutes a game or more That'd be nice. Uh, mm. Just as we give the guys a rest and, and start to uh, take some of that load off the Jays there and, and more importantly, Al and, and Paul Zingas as we head towards the playoffs. So we're almost in our Truman Show turn off the weather phase of the season, guys, to, to bring that analogy home. So tough stretch here <laughs> and then we're, uh, we're out. I thought you were reading the Sixers and Bucks first half schedule when you went Wiz, Pistons, yeah, Bucks, Pistons, yeah. Bulls, Hawks, yeah, Hawks. Well, like, it's fi- finally it, our turn, almost. I know, dude. Seriously, I, I don't want to like. I don't want to. Like, I, I don't want to jinx anything. Obviously, can't technically jinx anything. But like, obviously, we're we're on currently like sixty four point six win rate. I think right now, so if we beat the Sixers, it moves up to sixty five. There's a world where like we end up getting into the 67 range, like just because the schedule gets so easy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They're just playing so fucking well. They don't like they don't yeah. lose games anymore. And like I don't know. Maybe they they lose a couple of these big ones, but then the schedule gets so easy. They're, they're, anyway, I don't know. Um, it doesn't yeah. matter really what the number is that they get to, but it, it would be pretty cool if they end up getting to like 66 games or something. That'd be nice. Uh, it seems like a good place to leave it on, on that little uh, little fantasy, guys. All right, that's going to do it for this one. Come and watch the game with us on Tuesday night, playback.tv slash Celtics blog, and then back here on YouTube for Celtics late night after the game. We've really we've got our finger on the pulse here, guys, as far as the vibes around the team. This moment in Celtics history, we're having fun. We're having a good time on the podcast. Yeah. So make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel and on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. It's a great time to subscribe to subscribe rather to all of our stuff. Spoonie, Jake, love your work, guys. Until next time, go Celtics. Mm-hmm.